With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the 13th edition of Bantering the Blue Shirts. It is a uh, somewhat somber edition, much different than the positive podcast, because the New York Rangers are no longer playing hockey, uh, which is a pretty dramatic turnaround from where we were at the last podcast, where we were actually relatively positive. Uh, Mike and Beth join me. How are you guys doing? Miserable. Miserable? <laughs> Beth seems somewhat than happier than Saturday, visible. I guess. Yeah, no, yeah. It's, it's true. We've had uh, some for time. Those, for those of you who don't know, Beth is the new semi-permanent co-host. We say semi-permanent because uh, she is going to join every episode she can with the craziness. We have moved the shows to Wednesdays at 8 rather than Tuesdays. It works best for everybody. And Mike and I made the very smart decision that we sound a lot better when Beth is a part of the uh, show. So... We wanted to keep her around, uh, so we made that happen. Uh, before we begin, I have a somewhat heartfelt story that I thought about this morning, actually, that I just wanted to send out there. Um, when I first joined Blue Shirt Banter back in 2009, Jim had started the site from scratch when SB Nation was originally putting together their uh, websites. They were purchasing the rights to websites from people and bringing them into the network. Uh, James Myrtle the guy who now writes for the Toronto Globe and Mail about the Maple Leafs, their beat reporter. He was the, uh, the managing editor of the NHL hub for SB Nation. He was bringing people in. Uh, Blue Shirt Panther was the last website to join the folds for hockey or one of the last websites, which is ironic. Um, and they started it from scratch. And Jim was the, the guy that they brought in. He brought me on about a week later. And it, we, we started in late March, early April, and the website was doing pretty good. We were kind of cranking along. The Rangers ended up playing the Capitals in the first round, and they lost game seven. I don't know if you guys remember on, like, a, a Sergei Fedorov snipe with, like, four minutes left. I don't know if you blacked that out of your memories or not, but uh, we were super depressed because the website had just really started to kind of get some traction, gain some ground, and uh, the season was over, and we were – really nervous about how the summer was going to go. And it ended up being that we started doing some of our best work over the summer. People started finding out about us and we thought we were going to be on the downswing because the Rangers weren't playing. And a lot of people who found the site back then found the site that summer when the Rangers weren't even playing. So I had similar thoughts when the Rangers lost that we had started the podcast so late in the year that it was actually really disappointing that we were not going to uh, have the opportunity to keep going with the Rangers in the playoffs and, Hopefully it's the exact same thing that a lot more people find us over the summer and uh, we're going to be around. We're going to keep doing the podcast throughout the summer. Uh, hopefully every single week, at least in the interim, we've got a lot of things that we're going to talk about. Uh, I'm warning you that it may get a little silly. I've already pegged Mike to uh, <laughs> Mike does his yearly summer survival guide. He's going to put that on blue shirt pants again, but we're also going to do a podcast about it and have you guys tell us what your survival tactics are. So I'm not saying things are going to be the most hockey oriented as we get into the dog days of summer, but we will be here. So I really am hoping for the, the same thing to happen. That kind of summer upswing when everyone else is taking vacation, we'll just be here doing our thing. Um, that's really the, the end of the sappiness. And that's really the end of the positivity too, because the New York Rangers <laughs> got thoroughly embarrassed in games three and four at Madison square garden. They have now scored one goal more than any of us in four combined home playoff games, dating back to the back-to-back shutouts in game five and seven of the Eastern Conference final last year. Uh, Game three, they scored one goal, and they were shut out again in game four this year. Beth, we will begin with you ladies first. Just 
any overall thoughts on the, the playoff series and really what happened those those final three games where it almost looked like the Rangers had kind of stormed their way back into the series with that dominant game two win and ended up kind of falling apart there? Um, what was the – I think the phrase I used before the playoffs started was long, boring murder. And um, it's really hard to be bored when you're that horrified. So I can thank them um, for making it less boring than I thought it was going to be, but it was about a billion times more horrifying than I thought it was going to be. I don't think we ever thought the ice was going to tilt that far. Um, At least I didn't. I thought we'd have some heartbreaks. I was not expecting that much humiliation, frankly. Um, to the point where, I, I mean, I think the, I think, you know, I know we're going to talk about Hank later. Um, it really looked, I'm not going to say it looked like choreographed, but it, or that they were trying to lose. And I don't want to have one of those horrible conversations about effort. Um, but the word I'm thinking now is kind of destiny, you know? I mean, I know we've had the conversation on the site, maybe this was the best thing that could have happened in terms of what they need to do going forward. Um, but all I can say is that it was pretty pretty miserable to watch. Mike, I'm assuming you agree. Yeah, I think um, I'm with Beth. It's one of those things where, you know, I knew the Penguins were a tough matchup, and that's why so many of us were talking so much about how much uh, more we'd prefer to see the Rangers match up with the Panthers. But um, it was the, you know, it was there were a lot of reasons to be optimistic before the puck dropped on the series with uh, Flurry's injury and um, Malkin not being at 100%. And, you know, there is, you know, fully aware as, you know, as aware as, as we all were of the Rangers' shortcomings and their flaws, you know, there are plenty of us who were trying to be optimistic about what they could do against the Penguins. And, you know, given the fact that we've gotten past them in the past, but uh, it was, it was pretty, you know, it was a pretty definitive series victory. Um, you know, the, the fact that it took five games is almost, you know, a surprise given just how awful they looked in that last game. I mean, I I can't think of a game where the Rangers looked like they cared less or that they were already defeated as much as they were in that game five loss. And, uh, you know, it's, you know, there's a lot of talk about how the garden was emptying out long before the game was over. And, you know, I don't typically, that would, to me, that would be a capital, you know, a capital sin. But, um, you know, I get it. It was it was brutal to watch. And, uh, you know, I look I look at hopefully like, you know, I know you, you talked about this a little bit, Joe, but if anything, we'll wake up this organization and get them looking at what they need to look at. Hopefully this embarrassment will do that. Well, here's the really scary thing is that I was just thinking to myself, The I had the Islanders game on against Tampa Bay, and I think they're winning 3-1 right now. And had the Rangers have tanked their way down to playing Florida, they could have absolutely beaten Florida. They could have absolutely beaten Tampa Bay and made their way to the Eastern Conference final. And had that have happened, even if the Rangers did get steamrolled by the Caps or the, the Penguins, I still think there would have been a lot of people in the front office that, would have been able to point to it and say, hey, this team was still successful. We can keep moving forward with this group. Uh, getting embarrassed by the Penguins really probably did wake a lot of people up. Larry Brooks has wrote in a couple of, wrote, written a couple of columns, and in the ones that he's written, he's mentioned the mandate that's been handed down to Jeff Gordon to overhaul this roster. Now, I don't know what that means. I don't think any of us do. That can either be a really good thing or a really scary thing. I'm an internal optimist, so... I think that my outlook of the offseason right now is cautious excitement because I do think we're going to see a lot of changes. But when I look at what the Rangers ended up doing and just some of the things that they're saying, I mean, first of all, Brooks is, and we're going to talk about him too because we're going to talk about the Dan Boyle incident. Uh, Brooks is the most connected beat reporter on the Rangers beat, and it's not even close. So when he writes something like that, it's not speculation. You can take that to heart. Uh, in the event that the Rangers are looking to overhaul, we had a conversation, and we'll talk about it too, about maybe Brian McDonough, who the Rangers do need to talk about. But 
it's I think it became pretty clear to the brass and the upper management player or the upper management people and even James Dolan that things just were not good enough, which is the drum that we were beating in the very beginning of the year on the website. Uh, there are a lot of people who are now saying, oh, man, if the Rangers didn't go on that really hot run and if Lundqvist didn't keep them afloat, maybe things would have been different. But uh, I think it's on the general manager, the coach, and the organization to realize when you are winning in spite of process rather than winning because you're very good. And the Rangers were not able to do that. And ironically enough, the one part of the team that they doubled down on, the offense, ended up being an enormous part of the Rangers' demise along with everything else. And when you think about what we talked about before the series started was pretty much the Rangers need to have Hank and God mode. Defense is going to be a disaster, so be it. And the offense has to play incredible. And A and C did not happen. Lundqvist wasn't very good in the series. The offense was a complete no-show. I think the defense was better once Girardi sat down, but um, overall it, it had its problems like you would expect, and the Rangers ended up getting bounced out in five. So I don't think there's a better time than now to, to bring up the elephant in the room that is Henrik Lundqvist not really having all that good of a series. Uh, Beth, what are your thoughts on that? You know what? I was just thinking there was um... – a moment, I, I forget which goal it was. They all blend together at this point. Penn's goal, I mean, um, maybe one of you will remember. When uh, it was in the last, when the, pot, the puck just shot right past his glove. His glove was there, um, but it wasn't exactly where it needed to be. He was in the right position. So, like, if you'd nudged him four inches, you know, in another direction, he would have gotten it. And I just thought, what am I looking at? was not him and he has the uh, you know i i'm willing to bet that his eye wasn't a hundred percent so there's that um but part of me also you know has to wonder and this is psychological i'm not henrik lundquist would never throw a game i believe that um for his own reputation if nothing else but cracking under the pressure of literally everyone in the league saying, well, if the Rangers get anywhere, it's going to be on the back of Henrik Lundqvist. Um, You know, the term you used was God mode, um, which we know he can be in and we've seen it, but more than ever this season, they, they relied on it. And, um, you know, I think we saw that crack. I think he still very much is able to play in God mode um, but I just think some combination of perhaps, you know, the eye injury, yet another one inflicted by our own team, um, some combination of that injury and the pressure and realizing that nothing else was happening out on that ice um, finally got to him. And it got to him not in, you know, angry Hank, throw a net, make a sprawling save way. It got to him in letting I don't even want to think about how many pucks go by and, you know, getting pulled. Did he get pulled twice in the end in that series? Yeah, I think he did. Right? Yeah. yeah. Anyway, someone else. <laughs> Mike, save Beth, Mike. Save her. Uh, you know, it's it's a very weird thing um, to see Hank look bad because, you know, it's, it's, you know, as much as, you know, we'll all rush to say that it isn't Henrik's fault and, you know, that, you know, you can't put the series loss on him because you can't, he did look bad, especially in that game five. Um, and especially like Beth said, after, you know, he had um, a teammate sustained injury to his eye. So um, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, you look at just how much the Rangers have leaned on Lundqvist, especially in the playoffs and how much it's such a peculiar thing, how we've come to expect, not just him to be a great goalie, but to be a brilliant goalie, to be, you know, we, we've come to expect the, you know, like a superhuman performance night in and night out. And when it isn't there, it's, um, you can really see just how flawed and, uh, you know, diminished this team is from where, where it was a few years ago. And uh, I think that's something that's very alarming. And hopefully it was just, um, you know, this, you know, kind of uh, the cracks in the facade showing here because, 
you know, Lundqvist isn't young by any stretch of the imagination, especially in terms of, you know, an NHL player and goaltender. Um, and that's why, you know, we've seen so many articles um, being published about how the Rangers have wasted his prime years. But, uh, you know, there's, with all that being said, there's still good hockey left in him. And I think that's something that um, has not been said enough. And um, there's still enough in the tank for him and talent that's on this team for the Rangers to be a competitive team. It's just really a question, I think, of putting players in front of him that don't leave him facing two-on-ones. And I can't even count how many times the Penguins set up that just, you know, that bang-bang play on the, you know, right on the doorstep. I mean, how many times can you leave, you know, a, you know, a top-six player, you know, un, unchecked five feet, within five feet of the net? Um, whether or not it was on the power play, it was just absurd. So um, I, I don't know really what to think of what we saw from Hank other than, you know, he's a human being and he's capable of, you know, turning in a less-than-stellar performance. But he still made – big saves he still made big plays and you know it's just uh he wasn't able to you know steal games like we've seen him be able to do in the past but that doesn't mean he's no longer a good goalie in my opinion which is sort of the problem in that Lundqvist had pro I think he had the best save percentage he had ever had in his career and if NHL.com was better in terms of the design I would have that answer for you right now but it was certainly near the top and Lundqvist had a very good year. Lundqvist had a, a Lundqvist year, which is an exceptional year by your average goaltender's standpoint. And when you look at the goal that really sticks out for me, Beth, is the game for Connor Sheary streaking down the wing, shoots from like the high slot all the way on the outside, and it just goes blocker side high. Um, that's the one that really sticks out to me, the type of goal that you just would not see Henrik Lundqvist give up. And I think Lundqvist looked tired. I think he looked defeated. He claimed the eye injury wasn't an, wasn't an excuse. And I'm going to trust him on that because it would have been a great excuse for him to give to people. But when I look at what Lundqvist did, the body of work that he did this year, it's not totally unsurprising that he would crack under the pressure because it, the Rangers are almost working in reverse. You'd like to protect your older goalie a little bit more. I think the Rangers have had more breakdowns in front of Henrik Lundqvist this year as he's gotten older than they ever have before. And that's a really frustrating part of Elaine Mignot, who has a ton of blood on his hands for this playoff series. If you watched three minutes of film on the New York Rangers, you figured out their breakout plan. Long stretch passes down the wing. That's it. Or like three players who can actually carry the puck in the zone, so you just focus on them. And there was no adjustment made at all even though the Penguins were shutting it down. And, you know, the real positive I took from that playoff series is Brady Shea. I thought he was fantastic. I thought he was mm. as good as advertised, yeah. if not better. That's the end of the positives for me. JT Miller had one fantastic <laughs> game. Derek Broussard, I forgot, played in a lot of the games. Matt Zuccarello was up and down. Rick Nash was okay. Uh, you know, I don't hey, think he McDonough... playoff goals. <laughs> he did score playoff goals. So, uh, then it, which it just... You look at the expectations that the Rangers had. You look at the Keith Yandel Players Tribune article. You look at the Rangers just kind of building this team of we're going to go for it right now. And here's the analogy that I'll use on this because this is something that I was called out for a lot when I was saying the Rangers didn't need to go all in. Yes, the Rangers needed to win this year. So it was the Coors last shot, really the last group or the last chance with these guys. But there's a difference between going all in and going in with the hopes of winning. And my example will be, if you're playing blackjack and you have 16, you don't have to hit. You're probably, you don't necessarily have to win. Your odds are not very good to win. But if you hit, more than likely you will bust out. And that's exactly what happened to the Rangers. You moved Alexi Sorella and two second-round picks for one playoff win. Eric Stahl, who was a playoff monster, in his career, did not register a single point. He was on the ice for 10 goals against and zero goals for. His brother Mark Stahl was on the ice for three goals for and 11 goals against. So the Stahls as a whole did not have a good playoff series. That trade could not have gone any worse if the only way it would have went worse if the Rangers gave up Buchnevich for a first-round pick. That's the only way that it would have been worse. 
So the Rangers hit with 16, and they busted out. And now you don't have a lot of moves left. There's, the Rangers, if they're going to overhaul, and they're going to go young the way that Brooks is saying the mandate is, who are you going after? What are you doing? Because the Rangers right now, as it seems, need to get rid of Girardi. They need to get rid of Stahl. They need to keep Yandel. They need to get rid of Glass. And then you need to sign all your pending restricted free agents. And Adam has a story in the editor that's going to go up soon. The Rangers are in a very dangerous position in that if another team wants to screw them over, just offer a big contract to Kevin Hayes or Chris Kreider or JT Miller, who are RFAs where the Rangers need to make really tough decisions about matching them or not. And, you know, unless the contract is that big, the compensation is really not that great. You could lose Kevin Hayes for a third-round pick and not be able to match that contract, and that's a problem. So unless the Rangers have a plan to make sure that it doesn't get to that point, that they take care of this almost as soon as they can, I'm not sure what the Rangers are going to do. And this is a conversation that you'd be much more comfortable having if we were doing it after a Stanley Cup parade, but we're not. We're doing it (laughs) after one playoff win. And I just don't see the light at the end of the tunnel in terms of the people that the Rangers have now. Uh, Last thoughts on the the series itself because it was a disaster and we have other things that we need to talk about, mainly Dan Boyle freaking out at Larry Brooks. But uh, Beth, how much blame do you put on Vigneault for this, what happened this year? Do you think he sticks around? Uh, And more importantly, do you think he's the right guy to to lead the Rangers out of this next year? Um, As of right now, I see no signs that he's the right guy. Um, in response to what you were just saying about Kevin Hayes, um, trades and movement are not my strong point, but I've got to wonder after he was treated, um, not only in terms of money, why Kevin Hayes would want to stay, um, what the incentive is there, um, especially if, you know, they are, going for a rebuild, a cup isn't in the near future. Um, A player like Hayes, I mean, if he could be appreciated somewhere else, I mean, I worry about that with a lot of the youth on the team in terms of how they were treated this year. Um, Also, uh, Joe or Mike, if you wouldn't mind just following up a little bit, uh, we have a team essentially to encapsulate this. We have a team that's been sort of given a mandate to go young and we have no draft picks until like essentially after I die of old age. Right. Can we just, is that true? Well, there, the Rangers do forfeit this year's first round pick to Arizona. There was a misconception that we're talking about him a lot that Larry Brooks had actually originally uh, posted back in December that the New York Rangers had a choice between this year and last year or next year to give to Arizona. It is this year's pick that the Rangers made the playoffs. So the Rangers are without a first or second round pick this year. Their first round pick or their first pick as of right now will be in the third round. Next year, they're without their second round pick. They will, unless something happens, keep their first round pick. So uh, that's really the not that bright outlook, but continue what I was wondering about. The other thing, too, to add on about Hank is not just his own performance, but what he was looking at in goal across the ice, which were young players uh, who essentially, you know, with Flurry out, young players who, you know, if they'd screwed up, they were young and they were in for the starter, and but they didn't screw up, they succeeded. Um, and to have to watch, I think, that narrative happening at the other end of the ice um, when he was left hung out to dry so many times, I can't imagine that that wasn't part of the factor, too. I mean, nobody can see the ice probably better, you know, than he can in terms of what's going on. And just to have to see the complete opposite situation of his own, the high expectations on him the limited expectations on the goalies on the other end of the ice and the glory that they managed to accrue. Um, And, you know, what does he get a headline that says Hank's for nothing? So, you know, it was a lot. And a guy, you want to say that a guy like that shouldn't crack under that kind of pressure, but I'm not sure any of us know what that kind of pressure looks like. Anyway. 
Mike, your That's thoughts? That's the last of that for me. Uh, well, you know, just to revisit the, the question that was asked, um, I don't see Vino going anywhere. Uh, he certainly wasn't talking in the uh, on breakup day like someone who was, un, you know, felt like his job might have been in jeopardy. I mean, and, you know, to, you know, to his credit, the team, is, you know, has had a fair amount of regular season success while he's been here, you know, even though this year, you know, many of us were pointing to, you know, just how much good luck and, you know, the, the PDO that the Rangers were riding early in the year that really helped get them to the playoffs in the first place. Um, and, you know, we recognize that there were, there were serious flaws with the way this team was built, but I'm not sure he's going anywhere, and I'm also pretty sure that that's a bad thing. Um, I, I don't pretend to know or, or to have a diff- another coach's name to offer up that would be a better candidate than Vigneault, but um, what I do know is that, you know, I've seen enough questionable decisions made with the lineup, um, with ice time, with deployment, um, you know, how he's used. You know, all you need to do is look at, you know, it, of course it's a it's a narrow outlook to take, but to look at how Vino used Keith Yandel alone tells you plenty. Um, it tells you all you really need to know. And to look at, you know, how much how much leash and how many chances he gave to veteran players like Dan Girardi um, is something that's a serious concern for a team that isn't getting any younger and won't be getting any younger for quite some time now. I mean, there's, there's, you know, it's, it's one thing to look forward to what uh, Pavel Buchnevich can do next year. Um, and the, those of us who are uh, optimistic are, you know, already kind of chalking him into next year's lineup, but um, there's no guarantee of that happening. There's no guarantee that Vigneault and the Rangers brass will, you know, make that decision whether or not it's the right one. And I think the fact that, you know, we're questioning things like that says a lot about, you know, where this team is and where it needs to get to. And uh, right now, you know, I might be a little more pessimistic than I typically am given uh, the way the Rangers looked in the five games against Pittsburgh, but uh, I couldn't really be less confident in Vigneault than I am right now. I should just elaborate that the reason why I – brought up Vigneault's future. It's my speculation. Uh, I think this team reminds me a lot of the John Tortorella teams towards the end. And I think that when you look at that situation, Tortorella was, I think he was fired two weeks after the end of the season. The Rangers kind of took a little bit of time and did their player meetings and got an idea. So, uh, you know, just from a time frame standpoint, I was just looking at it as something that could be similar. But I think Vigneault's seat is a lot hotter if he does stick around, and I think he will stick around, and uh, that's a, an upgrade from sort of where we were, and look, facts are facts. The reality of the situation is the Rangers gave over a lot of control to lineup decisions, but uh, not lineup decisions, to personnel decisions to Vigneault, and that's part of the reason why Dan Boyle was here. It's part of the reason why uh, Keith Yandel is here. It's part of the reason why Tanner Glass is here. And I think that sometimes the Rangers reacted like a two-headed turtle, where Glenn Sather thought, okay, we have to get Keith Yandel, and it's going to be a great thing. And then he gets here, and the other head of the turtle is like, well, I don't really want to use Keith Yandel. I don't know why you brought him in. And that's frustrating, especially when you're giving up those types of assets. And you look at this team, and my God, could you imagine Pavel Buchnevich and Anthony Duclair in the Rangers jersey next year? It would just make all the difference in the world, and the Rangers are not there. Uh, in my eulogy, I took a lot of heat for calling the Keith Yandel trade one of the worst trades in organizational history if Yandel isn't kept. But it's not from the standpoint of just the fact that the Rangers didn't win. It's from the standpoint that the Rangers gave up all these assets for a guy that they needed, did not use him at all, did not use him properly, and to let him walk away for one playoff win, uh, you know, this year, not last year, would be ludicrous. Just the whole series of events doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And I have a lot of faith that Jeff Gordon is going to make some changes. And look, if if he's been given the freedom to make changes and he's actually been demanded to make changes, 
I think we should be pretty excited about what he's going to bring to the table because I really do think we're going to see an overhaul. But there do have to be some questions about what the Rangers, A, can do. Can you get rid of Girardi? Can you get rid of Stahl? Can you get rid of Glass without buying them out? Or B, what is he willing to do? And we don't know the answers to those questions yet. We're going to have to wait till the days leading up to the draft, unfortunately. Um, since we've talked about it quite a bit, we may as well get into it. Beth wrote a, a beautiful story on the Dan Boyle-Larry Brooks incident. Rangers breakup day was a little tense. For those of you who don't know, Boyle asked for uh, Brooks and Brett. I don't have no idea how to pronounce his last name. They write for the New York Post to get out of the locker room. He said it in not nice tones and used the F word a bunch of times, and it turned into this unbelievable, uh, crazy story of the day. Pat Leonard wrote a really gross, disgusting column about it, like three seconds after it happened that was totally unnecessary. Um, but Beth had some great thoughts about it. So, Beth, I will allow you to take the reins on this one. And let us know your thoughts. What do you think it means? Boyle is probably retiring at the end of the year. So, uh, you know, that was his last act as a Ranger, and it was a hell of a last act. Yeah, I mean, you know, I know that he's taken a lot of abuse for the trade that brought him here. Um, and then, again, you know, when Yandel came in, um, who exactly is supposed to be running the power play? How much are we paying for them? What did we give up for them? And why does the power play still suck? Um, but to really, you know, to go back, because I actually went back and I read everything that was tagged Dan Boyle, you know, um, which is a whole lot of Brooksy, I just want to add. And um, <laughs> it, was, it, it was relentless. He could not let a game go by or a mention of Boyle go by without, again, condemning that trade, saying Boyle wasn't worth it. Um, And then when I got to that, you know, that quotation that I actually included in the article, where not only was apparently his own trade um, his fault, but also the Yandel trade was his fault. So therefore the entire failure of the defense and the power play was his fault. I just thought, what is it like, you know, to have to look at this guy after every game? Um, And then to uh, Brooks also saying that uh, Boyle sort of refused to be accountable to the press, um, which was strange because they couldn't seem to stop talking about him. Um, you know, and when they did get a quote from him, it was always something that, you you know, your heart went out. It was always, I'm doing the best I can. I just want to, you know, try to help the team. On one hand, that's standard, you know, boilerplate hockey stuff. Um, but it's also, you know, what do you want from me? I'm 39 years old. I did not, you know, this was not my idea. And, um, you know, he's an older guy. He's tired. He's had some issues this year. And you just really couldn't help feeling for him. And, you know, what he did, it wasn't eloquent. And um, when you listen, you know, to the actual recording, you can hear, I guess, I don't know who it was, maybe one of you do, that they actually tried to shut down his whole press conference or whatever it was and to get everyone to leave. Maybe they thought he was going to lose it. Do you remember that part of it? I read yeah. in one of they said, the stories that... They said, this is over, this is over, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it was, it was like a, a Rangers a organizational staff member tried to jump in and yeah, you calm can't the water. Who it is. Yeah. And, um, but they, you know, it was definitely to, to diffuse something. So I understand from that point of view, but just the idea, you know, he was saying a few more things as a Ranger and he didn't want to say it to them. Um. And you can't not sympathize with that, or at least I couldn't, because I can't even imagine what it's like to have to smile at someone who tears you down when you're just out there doing your job night after night, you know? So it really, you know, it seemed important to me to just sort of look at it another way, especially since all the beat writers were so quick, you know, to condemn. Well, you know, I think Beth raises a good point with, you know, it, it wasn't Dan Boyle's idea for the Rangers to not re-sign Anton Strahlman and then have Strahlman really flourish and become the player that 
um, so many analytics uh, students knew he could be with the Lightning. And, you know, that was the opening that made room for Boyle to join the Rangers as, you know, the USA and the, he signed a two-year, $9 million contract with a no-movement clause. And, you know, there's also, you know, just as Beth was talking about, I was going back and reading, you know, the stories about his signing. And, you know, he, he left money on the table to join the Rangers because, you know, he thought it was his best chance uh, of winning. And, you know, I, obviously winning the Cup. Um, it wasn't his idea to not sign Anton Strauman. Uh, is he going to turn down, you know, $4.5 million a year? Of course not. Um, was he an atrocious player? By no stretch of the imagination was he, you know, like a liability night in and night out. He still proved to be, you know, a player with serious offensive upside. Um, I think that, you know, obviously he was far from the Rangers' best, uh, you know, defensive defenseman, and his lack of foot speed really was something that uh, made him an easy target for criticism by the media. But um, it's it's hard not to sympathize with with him for the reasons that, you know, that Beth pointed out. You know, it's something that uh, both Beth and I have, you know, had also had to learn, uh, you know, first-hand experience now is, you know, covering the NWHL with the press pass around her neck. And, you know, it was written in her great piece today about uh, the Soul Boyle scenario, which is, you know, it's a very different thing to, you know, write about uh, players and athletes and, you know, how they're, you know, how they're playing and whether or not, you know, they're living up to expectations and things like that. Um, and it's another thing entirely to to write those words and then to look at them in the face and, to know that, you know, just a week ago or so you wrote how they had an atrocious game and you don't know what's going on in their life. Um, you don't know if they're having a hard week, um, if they're, you know, if there's personal matters in their family or their, their personal lives or things like that, you know, these outside factors that are beyond our grasping comprehension. And it's so easy to find a scapegoat and, you know, point to player X, Y, or Z and, you know, that's why we, you know, harped on so much in the podcast about how when we criticize players like, you know, Dan Girardi and Tanner Glass, we're not criticizing them as the people they are, but, you know, for what they do out on the ice, because we can't forget the, that these guys are people. And what Dan Boyle had was, you know, he had the reaction of a person who was, you know, attacked in the print for, you know, two years in New York by you know, a, uh, a a journalist who's been known to go after players and who has, I don't know how to say it nicely, but not the best reputation um, <laughs> among his peers and his readers and fans of the sport. But, you know, I, I, you know, I come out on the side of Dan Boyle, you know, even though it's been called immature and, you know, you know, it's, he's been criticized for the way he handled himself and all of that. But, you know, I, I'm not sure anyone, any one of us or anyone in general would have done much better in that situation. Um, you know, I think it's important to point out that he, he made a point to say that he had no issue with, you know, any of the other writers uh, yeah. and journalists who were there um, being there. And plenty of them had written, you know, things that, you know, criticized Boyle's game and his teammates' game, but he was fine with them there. It was just the you know, Brooks and uh, and Brett, last name difficult to pronounce um, from the <laughs> post, um, that he felt that it crossed the line. And you know what? It's it's hard to it's hard to blame him for that. It's hard to criticize that in someone who, you know, he's he's a proud he's a proud athlete. He had an amazing career, and much like a lot of athletes who, you know. As Beth pointed out, 39 years old now. You know, he signed that contract with the Rangers when he was 37. There's not many players who can even play at that age, let alone have a 10-goal season at age 39 like Boyle did. Um, you know, it's it's something that you know I think it's easy to forget just how impressive of a career Boyle had and how good he was. You know, given given the situation of you know his age and everything else and you know, the fact that, you know, there are several times during the season and in the playoffs where, you know, he was, his, he saw a big uh, bite taken out of his minutes and it was a healthy scratch and things like that. But uh, I don't know. Where do you land on it, Joe? 
it's kind of an interesting situation and it really brings you back to the whole everybody hates the everybody hates the cliches that hockey players give and then when you see something like this an explosion of raw emotion people there's instant backlash here's the thing and you you brought it up mike beth kind of touched on it boyle had an issue with two people in the entire the entire locker room and i'm going to be honest with you i'm sort of surprised uh leonard leonard wasn't one of them because he was on boyle more than anyone else really from the beginning but Obviously, something was said that got under his skin by Larry Brooks, and Beth brought up some of the things that they had written specifically that really probably could have been it, but that was his issue. And when you look at these players, you're right, these are proud guys, and I totally understand that, quote-unquote, it's his job to be a professional there, just deal with it, do whatever. But by the same token, it's also, if you're going to say something like that, if you're going to do something like that, then you need to be able to take whatever comes of it. And my example is if I went into that locker room, I'm sure I would not be Tanner Glass or Dan Girardi's favorite person either. And Beth and I were talking about this a little bit this afternoon. I'm not sure I did a great job separating the player from the person in the beginning. I I really tried to focus on that a little bit more towards the end, but some things can definitely take on likes of their own. And what I take from this is, look, good for Boyle for getting it out there, honestly. The, this is, I mean, could it have been done privately? Yes, probably. Obviously, something happened that, that really got to him, and you see the writers kind of band around each other, and some of them more than others were far more appalled. But I don't know why Boyle took the brunt of the, the blame this year. Uh, I'm sure he doesn't feel like it was deserved, although I'm sure Tanner Glass and Dan Girardi didn't feel it was deserved either. So when you look at it from that way, it, people are like, Oh, where was this fire all year? Well, I think it was there. I do. It's just maybe Boyle knew it was not the time and the place. I can tell you this was not the first altercation in the locker room with Boyle and a media member this year. Uh, I don't know who it was. So it could, it could have been Brooks. And after this, I'm going to assume it may have been Brooks. Maybe that played a role in it as well. But um, you know, these things happen. Emotions run wild. This is not the first time Something like this has happened in the NHL. It's the first time that it's happened in New York in a while. And, I mean, we spent two days talking about a camera guy stepping on a logo two weeks ago. Like, <laughs> this is, this, you do this in the playoffs. I think it takes on a life of its own because it's Larry Brooks, and he's definitely one of the more trolly of the beat reporters and someone who – can definitely get under people's skin, but I, I also think the Rangers were really frustrated. This was Boyle's last kick at the can, and he's probably going to retire at the end of the year. He was probably frustrated. Uh, who can blame him that the Rangers are upset? I mean, who can blame them? There were a lot of things that I'm sure were said in, I mean, if we're looking, if you look back at the quotes and you read some of the quotes, it was a very somber breakup day. The Rangers were not happy campers because they probably felt like they failed, which they did. Um, Lundquist is like a dejected five-year-old who didn't get what he wanted for Christmas every time the Rangers lose because he cares about it just that much. This is what they do. Boyle went another road. So be it. I mean, good for them or good for him for getting it out. But, and you know, Beth, you brought this up too. For all the antagonistic and all the antagonistic things that Larry Brooks can be, he handled this like more of an adult than the other beat reporters who were not even involved. He didn't write a story about it. He didn't, he just ignored it, which is exactly what should have happened. Keep it in the room. And I think if, uh, you know, Leonard doesn't go in and make this big thing out of it, and obviously all these guys picked it up on Twitter, and it it sort of just became a, a... it was a news story, so people ran with it. But these things happen. I, I've definitely been, I was a sports writer for two years out of college. I have been in locker rooms where these things have happened. You're working with these people, and it's Brooks' job to tell the truth. He thought he was telling the truth, just like we do. But I do not spoil on this one because I can totally see what they wrote about him as being maybe antagonistic. They definitely poked the bear, and they blamed him for a lot of problems that weren't even his fault. And I think one of the things that we've done a really good job of when we criticize Girardi and we criticize Glass or Stahl is we're not blaming them for the roster moves that the Rangers made. We're not blaming them for the contracts we signed. That goes above their head. Nothing that Girardi did this year is his fault. He tried to play hockey. So be it. 
than Yo for giving him 20 minutes a night and top pairing minutes. It's the Rangers for signing him to that huge contract. It's the Rangers for letting Anton Stroman walk and bringing in Dan Boyle. It's not the player's fault, just like with Wade Redden. It's not his fault he signed that contract. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can say. You would have signed it too. I would sign it right now. So <laughs> I think it's good to see the, the emotion. I think it's – these guys are not robots. That's really the, the be-all, end-all of it. These guys are self-aware human beings. They read the paper. Maybe they read Blue Shirt Panther. I don't know. But these things, I'm surprised they don't happen more often, to be honest, and they may, and we just don't hear about it. But it's not the first time that it's happened to Brooks, and it's not the first time that it's happened in an NHL locker room. So I don't know. I'm – at least they, we saw some emotion, but it's from a guy who isn't going to be on the team next year. So I don't really know how to take it from that standpoint. But he took his chance. Like you said, Beth, it was really his last shot, and he did it. Uh, we just passed the 45-minute mark. I was going to thank everybody for uh, for listening. But I, I did want to – there was just – someone asked in the, in the chat about the Penguins signing Lucas Bengston, who was a defenseman who played really well for, for London in the SHL uh, he was invited to Rangers camp last year. The Rangers did not sign him. He, he ended up going back over to Sweden and he was expected to be a layup for the Rangers this year because they had him at camp last year. And, uh, he ended up signing with the Pittsburgh Penguins today. So I think that if you're just curious about what that means to me, I don't think the Rangers <laughs> are a very attractive landing point, landing area for, young free agents because they probably look at the way that some of the youth has been treated. Kevin Hayes, JT Miller, Jesper Fast, Oscar Lindbergh, Dylan McElrath run down the list and they don't yeah. want any part of that. And I definitely, I think that plays a role. Some people don't, I think it does. Otherwise these guys would not do If the money is the same for these players, don't forget that entry level contract that he signed with Pittsburgh, he would have gotten the exact same deal in New York. You can't negotiate that. So there are other factors at play here. And for Pittsburgh to, grab a kid who was at the Rangers camp last year and loved it. And the Rangers kept tabs with him all year. That's something that should raise a couple of red flags. Since we're talking about defensemen, we went past, we'll go just a little bit longer into the, the Tony podcast time. There was a Ben Brooks conversation about potentially thinking about trading Ryan McDonough. I wrote a story on it that I think went up today. Um, I didn't really see it as feasible. I didn't see it as something that the Rangers were going to be able to walk out as, actual contenders next year because McDonough really is the backbone of this defense. And I was just curious what your thoughts are on, I think we've kind of gotten this, the warning siren going off that no player is safe this year. Beth, are you surprised that McDonough's name was the first name to kind of be thrown into the blender of uh, let's see what's going on with trade speculation? Um, Not much surprises me at this point. Um, Especially, you know what, it's, I, I mean, I am surprised by it. If when he's been healthy, he's been consistent. Um, contract stuff isn't my forte, but he doesn't strike me as somebody who's dragging us down in that respect. Um, maybe is it possibly that they consider him their, most one of their more attractive assets who's available right now. I mean, I'm not really sure. What do you guys, what do you guys think? Mike, your thoughts on that? Well, you know, he's, I think part of this, you know, part of the reason I think McDonough's name does come up is the fact that he's one of the only big contracts that doesn't have, you know, he's 4.7, uh, on the you know 4.7 million on the cap uh, for three years or three seasons after this one, um, he's one of the only guys who doesn't have no movement or no trade clause, um, uh. and I think that's a big part of why, you know he why he could be one of the names in there, and also like Beth pointed out, he's probably the most attractive asset given the fact that you know he's still you know his mid 20s, he's 26. Um, he's a highly respected defender in the league. You know, he's U.S. national player. He's obviously, you know, one of the few things that went right on the Rangers' blue line this season. Um, am I surprised that it's it's his name that's coming up uh, kind of early and often here? Uh, a little bit. Um, I think the bottom line is he's, he's probably easier to move um, than some of the other guys that are – 
actually players the Rangers should really look into moving. Um, for instance, like I think, you know, there's so much talk about Girardi, but, you know, Mark Stahl is another contract that, uh, you know, if the Rangers can get it out from under it um, without having to buy it out, um, they should because it's, you know, it's, it might be harsh to say, but he doesn't really look like the player he did before his injury. And, um, you know, he's 29 now and he's 5.7 on the cap until, you know, the 2021 off season. So it's, you know, there's plenty of reason why the Rangers should be thinking about moving um, big pieces and considering this, uh, this overhaul that we've heard rumblings about from Brooks and other writers, but, um, I'm not sure starting with McDonough is is the best place to start. Um, I would much rather the team look at some other options, but, um, you know, as, as you pointed out with uh, the piece that Adam's working on um, with how the Rangers could be in a real tough situation with, you know, facing offer sheets and having to match them uh, with this very important uh, class of restricted free agents they have um, with, you know, Kreider and, Hayes and Miller and um, McElrath as well, you know, they, they really have to be careful with how they make, you know, this off season work. And that's even with, you know, uh, some big contracts coming off the books that we know won't be coming back like Boyle and uh, Eric Stahl. Um, but, you know, it's, there's a lot, there's a lot to think about for the Rangers and, where they go from here. And I, I don't think anyone really has a good idea of what the best step is for this team. And I think that everyone extends to the, to the front office because um, I'm not sure there's a quick fix for this team. I'm not sure, you know, in the past, I think we've looked at when the Rangers have been eliminated in the playoffs and, you know, we've looked at, Oh, just a little tinkering here and there and, you know, change this part and, you know, bring in this player, let that player go and this team will be right back here and maybe uh, at a cup contender. But um, after how this season went and how this, uh, the playoff series went against Pittsburgh, um, I think that there's a lot of people who really firmly believe that drastic measures are taken. Um, one can only hope that it's the right drastic, drastic measures that are taken. And I'm not sure that moving Ryan McDonough and his very, very you know, cap-friendly contract is the right thing to do. My point to this was that I think the Rangers would be very smart to, at the very least, have conversations about it. The deals that Larry Brooks suggested the Rangers could acquire for McDonough were pretty much surefire deals. You could get Edmonton's top five pick this year and Hall or Nugent Hopkins. Obviously, you're going to make that trade because it makes you quite a bit better in the long term. And, you know, you try to do what you can with the defense as is. But part of what Brooks said that I could not go along with was, okay, you trade McDonough and then you use the money to sign Yandel. First of all, in any of those trades, the money didn't work out that way. Second of all, you should be keeping Yandel to pair with McDonough as the backbone of the defense rather than replacing Yandel with McDonough. So to that point, I don't think it's dumb for the Rangers to think about. They should be having these conversations. I wouldn't be totally shocked if they were having conversations about what they could get for Lundqvist. And I don't mean that in a he was bad in the series against the Penguins, so they need to trade him now while they can standpoint. I mean that from if the Rangers are really going to do an overhaul, they need to have conversations about everybody. I think some players should be safer than others, McDonough and Lundqvist among them. But I do think that it's not the worst idea in the world to have those conversations. Because say someone does blow you away. Say Edmonton does give you the number one pick and haul for McDonough. Of course you make that trade. So when you think about it that way, yeah, blow me away. Show me something that I'm going to walk away from this from and be a better team, and we'll fix those problems as they come. And that's sort of what I'm taking from this. If the Rangers truly want to get younger, they don't have to do a lot of work. Get rid of Girardi. Get rid of Stahl. Get rid of Tanner Glass. Dan Boyle is gone. Bring up Brady Shea. Play Dylan McElrath. Pavel Buchnevich is coming next year. Maybe make a trade or two for a younger player if you need to, but you have a very young core to this team. If McDonough and Stepan are the two elder statement of this core at 25 and 26 years old, 
That's not an old team. The Rangers' age is skewed by Lundqvist, by Nash, by uh, Dan Boyle and Dominic Moore and, you know, those types of players. I, I think I'm surprised Rick Nash was not the first name named, if we're being honest. I think we are going to dig in quite a bit deeper to a potential Rick Nash uh, trade swirl or trade rumor swirling because I, I do think that's something the Rangers should probably seriously consider. And not because Nash is a failure and not because he's not a playoff performer, but because he's getting paid a lot of money. He's coming to the end of a contract. He's still a very good player. And you could probably get a lot back for Rick Nash. If the Rangers said, make, say, make that deal where they trade away McDonough for Taylor Hall and a first-round pick, you could trade Nash for the defensive help that you need. There's definitely moving pieces here. But like I said in the story, it's very convoluted because you don't know what those other pieces are. Jeff Gordon might have an idea of what it is he's working with on the grand scheme of things. One of those uh, enormous tables that has like all the maps on it. He's probably moving chess pieces around to figure stuff out. At least it's how I envision it in my head. But we don't know that. You can't see that from where we're sitting. So, yeah, I'm a little surprised McDonough's name was out there. And uh, I think we're going to hear a lot more about Nash. I I doubt very highly we're going to hear anything about Lundqvist. But it honestly would not surprise me if the Rangers took offers for almost every single player. I don't think you get any better by trading Kevin Hayes. I don't think you get any better by trading JT Miller or Shea or Buchnevich. But really outside of that group or even Kreider, although I guess you can make an excuse for him because he might become more expensive. Sure. Listen, see what, see what they put on the table. See what someone says. If someone's willing to overpay for something, uh, you know, if St. Louis loses in the second round or if Dallas does and they think Rick Nash is the answer and they're willing to give up a, a slew of, prospects picks or players for them you have to listen so i'm not surprised i'm I'm surprised he's first but i'm not surprised that we were hearing about it uh beth i may be wrong i thought you took a deep breath like you were going to say something before i jumped in did you have a thought that i cut you off on no you didn't cut me off um and i will say this i don't want to change the, the the course of the conversation um, all I keep thinking of when we discuss this is that part of my fear about AV is that he only knows how to make one thing, no matter what parts he has, and that part of his weakness as a coach is not to be able to look at the parts and make them into something different that works better based on what he has available and working at the moment. Um so all the amazing names and possibilities we say, I still, you know, I still am, you know, harboring the anxiety of, you know, what systems is he going to create for whatever those players turn out to be? You know, what strengths is he going to decide to build a team around? Um, so that's not really, I mean, that has, that's kind of tangential to what you're talking about. But for me, it's just that you could almost, you, you couldn't tell me any name right now that would make me feel completely better while Elaine Vigneault is still the coach. That's a good point. And if you listen to Vigneault speak during breakup day, he certainly sounded like a coach that either A, saw the writing on the wall or B, got a talking to because he said some things that were just, the polar opposite of what he had been all year, that the core wasn't good enough, that the defense wasn't good enough, that there were going to be some changes and it could just be coach speak. And we know that Vigneault is really good at that, but I agree with you, Beth. He is a brilliant system. His system works in 2014. It was the best system in the NHL, honestly, but I don't think he knows how to build to that system if he doesn't have the right pieces in place. And I think he lucked into that fourth line he lucked into the Rangers' top four, and he lucked into the Pouillat, Broussard, Zuccarello line. And that kind of carried the way for them. And I think it's very fair to say that the more Vigneault touched this lineup, the worse the Rangers got. They went from Stanley Cup finalists to Eastern Conference finalists to winning one playoff game in three years with a lot of moves that I think he had a say on. So, yeah, that's a big drop-off. And it's part of the reason why these people who just threw their blind faith to Vigneault are sort of backing into the woods a little bit to go into hiding because this is what we were warning you about. If you cannot make adjustments, and like Beth said, you can only make one thing, you're not putting together a Stanley Cup contending team, more than likely. 
And if the Rangers are going to rebuild this next year, they may want to think about either bringing in a new coach or overhauling their assistant coaches. Dallas Eakins is an analytical, smart mind, the former coach of the Edmonton Oilers, who I'd love to get behind the Rangers bench. There are definitely players or people out there that I think will help the Rangers, but they need to be willing to make change themselves, and I'm not totally sure they are. Uh, Mike, anything you want to add? We kind of cut you off there. Uh, there's nothing that really I can think of. It just it'll be, I think like like pretty much every Rangers fan, I think that you know what we're all going to end up doing here is really listening closely for the first you know the first bits of news that come out in the weeks to come with you know when we hear about things like firings and when we hear about things like names being floated around and you know with the when the attention turns more to the draft like we're already seeing um i think you know we'll see we'll see more discussion about you know what options this team can take and you know right now you know i'm i'm not sure there's a bigger defender of rick nash than than me in this group but you know, if, if the Rangers can move Rick Nash, it's it wouldn't be a bad time to do it. Just like it comes down to what you said before, which is if if you can be made a better team with a deal, then there's no player on the team who's above you know being moved. There's it's not there's no one is sacred here, and you know it's it'll be a shame if you know if the wrong head coach is behind the bench for whatever. Uh, whatever team the Rangers put together for next season. But um, it's a really awkward spot this team is in right now because I don't, I don't think any of us are feeling, you know, confident or, you know, optimistic about, you know, seeing them improve on this performance, even though, you know, we know that it, this is a team that's capable of being better than this. So um, I think there's a lot of people who are, you know, very understandably worried and concerned about uh, the direction the team is headed in. But um, with with a little bit of luck, hopefully we'll see some of the right moves made this offseason. And you know, that might start with a trade that some of us didn't see coming. And, you know, it might start with moving a player that a lot of us don't want to necessarily see go. But, um, you know, I think almost everyone can agree that something needs to change with the way this team looked and played uh, both, not just, it wasn't just, you know, the series with Pittsburgh. Uh, this team showed signs throughout the season of not being consistent and, you know, depending far too much on, you know, good fortune and, you know, getting by on, you know, uh, some wonderful shooting percentage and uh, Henrik Lundqvist being, you know, outstanding. Of course, today, you know, the Vezina candidates were announced and, you know, Henrik wasn't among them and that caused some uh, some grumbling on hockey Twitter. But um, it's it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what what direction this first step of the offseason goes in. And uh, I'm not really sure any of us can really predict it accurate, accurately because I'm not sure the organization knows where they really want to go from here. I think that's the fear, honestly. You just don't know. Uh, but I am cautiously optimistic for whatever reason. I, I'm an internal optimist, but I really am. Uh, all right, we've gone well into the Tony part of the podcast. Uh, I did want to remind you guys that Loot Crate was kind enough to sponsor us, so please go to LootCrate.com slash BlueShirtBanter and sign up for Loot Crate and get fun things in the mail. Mike told you that Blue's Clues told him he, he should love getting the mail, and he did not because it's just bills. <laughs> but now you can love the mail again. Do that, and we will love you. Uh, we're going to be on Stitcher soon. I, I put us up there. A couple of people have asked about it. So we're on iTunes right now. You can listen to it at blogtalkradio.com slash BlueShirtPanther. And now um, Stitcher as well. I, we're not approved there yet. Looks like Google Play is allowing podcasts as well. So we're going to be there too. So you can listen to us really anywhere. Um, like I said, the show is now moving to Wednesday. Beth is going to be a semi-permanent member, hopefully a very permanent member. Um, and we're going to just, we're going to do one every week until we, either run out of things to talk about or we just start podcasting where we yell at each other and uh, do some crazy stuff. So a big thank you to all of you for listening. You can uh, find us all at Blue Shirt Banter. Mike and Beth are the residential uh, BlueShirtBanter.com slash Riveter editors. Um, Riveters, sorry. Uh, editor, and uh, they are the people that you should definitely uh, be reading. You can also read Mike at Today's Slapshot. If you would like to follow me on Twitter, Facebook, or any other 
of the uh, social media establishments. Just put in slash Blue Shirt Panther and you will find me. Beth is B-E-T-H-M-A-C-H-L-A-N. That's her Twitter handle. Mike is Dig Deep BSB. I always forget that. Um, and, yeah, that's really it from us. So uh, any parting thoughts, guys, as we move on? <laughs> I'll take that as a no. We're good to go. Uh, thank you guys for <laughs> listening. Thank you for putting up with us for the first 12 episodes. Sorry there wasn't a little bit more uh, – Rangers hockey for us to talk about, but we're going to do, we're going to transition a lot of the things that we do on the website, which is going to be active every day through the off season. We're going to transition a lot of that to the podcast as well on a weekly basis. And hopefully we have good things to talk about. So thank you for listening. We will see you next week. Good night. Good night. Good night, everybody.